This week, we welcome Philip Weaver. Retired uh, Army Specialist Phil Weaver. Uh, Phil, Phil how, many, how many years did you serve in the United States Army? I did uh, 30 years, Armstrong. It was, it was a, definitely a, a privilege and a, a pleasure as an American citizen to be able to serve my country that long. And where did you serve? Did you say when? Where? Where did you serve? In the U.S. Army. Okay, and what, what, and where were your different locations around the world? Oh, as far as deployments, it started uh, with the 82nd Airborne and back during the first Gulf War, and then additionally in Iraq, and then uh, the latest was in 2017 in Afghanistan. So you were watching TV recently on one particular weekend, and something really just absolutely shocked you to the point where you thought you were hallucinating that you were in some kind of dreamland. Talk about that experience, which is why we're talking to you today. And we want you to take your time and walk us through your experience when you saw what you saw on TV, and it took you to three years back, three years when you uh, were at Guantanamo Bay, um, um, counseling people on mental health and dealing with some of the most hardened criminals and terrorists mankind has ever known. Go ahead, Phil. So this was actually just this past Saturday as I was uh, drinking coffee and watching uh, Fox News in the morning. And um, I hear one of the correspondents come on and speak of the uh, Taliban negotiations and mention that Anas Haqqani was one of the ones participating in this and leading it and had been in Doha meeting with the, uh, the delegation there. And... That's a name that I had not heard in about four years. And the last time I think I heard that name and knew, you know, had that reference, I was sitting across from him in a, in a jail cell in the middle of nowhere in a prison in Afghanistan. This was at the time considered the number two high value target in Afghanistan. He had been captured three years prior um, and had been in solitary confinement and um, due to an uncle requesting of then Hamid Karzai, the president of Afghanistan, um, for him to be evaluated, there was a request that through the State Department and ended up on my desk. And so um, went to this, this prison. Um, and the, Af the Afghan general who was going to escort us and, and set this up, could not explain or could not detail anymore or be any more adamant about what an evil terrorist man this was, but both himself and the entire Haqqani network, but was just absolutely frightened that because he was the warden of this prison, that his family would be killed, that he could be killed. Um, and, and I can tell you from just watching him walk out of that cell in handcuffs on his ankles um, and wrist, just he literally spit on the ground, looked at looked at everyone as if he was still in charge. And the Afghan, who was probably the biggest Afghan I've ever seen, this general basically bowed to him and showed such deference to this terror just out of fear. This this is a man who slit your throat, watch you bleed, and then sit down and eat dinner and go take a nap with zero guilt, remorse, or feelings. 
So why was Anas Akani, and is he a part of, of the Akani Brothers um, Network of Terrorism, where, who also gave safe passage to Osama bin Laden in Afghanistan? That indeed is the Haqqani Terrorist Network that you're referring to. Yes, he's one of the one of the brothers, um, and they actually um, mentored Osama bin Laden um, for many years way back when the Russians were even fighting, um, the Soviets were fighting over there, and then they did provide him safe passage um, into Pakistan, which is where they're located on the uh, in Pakistan and primarily on the border of Pakistan and Afghanistan. So, you know, I want people to, to really to get this picture. I guess Phil Weaver, who uh, was a mental health counselor at um, Guantanamo Bay, has spent three years with this man, um, Anas Akhani, who was in solitary confinement, one of the most feared terrorists in the world. In fact, number two on the high-value terrorist list around the world. And all of a sudden, and Phil and I talked earlier, and he also talked about the fact that their biggest fear is that he was going to wake up one morning and this guy's jail cell, uh, Anas's jail cell would be open and he would have been able to walk free to continue his terrorism on killing Americans and other um, people around the world. And all of a sudden, his worst fear became a reality because he looked at Fox News and there he was at the negotiating table, negotiating with the Taliban, negotiating with the Afghanistan government, negotiating with the United States. Biden admitted that they were negotiating with the Taliban. What were you, what were your thoughts? Is this somebody who's made a rapid change? Did you make to him making this kind of change where he could be at the negotiating table, being part of the a solution instead of the problem? You know, Zebra change strikes and even today hearing the Taliban saying some of the some of the things that they are um, they are who they are and they they're not a kindler gentler Taliban they are evil evil people um, and that's that's not going to change I mean th this is someone who masterminded a bombing in Kabul in 2013 that not only targeted Afghans, it targeted our embassy. And now we're going to give legitimacy to this person and bring him to the table and sit down with someone who wanted to kill Americans? It's, it was mind-blowing. You're right. I, I, I almost dropped my coffee cup. This, like, Americans, you know, the U.S., we, we don't negotiate with terrorists. Not only are we negotiating, we're giving them legitimacy and bringing them to the table and recognizing them as a almost as a legitimate government now it's mind-boggling so, so what do you think um Anas's true agenda is and what are they really planning and who's really being manipulated what is the master plan here not just the Haqqani terrorist network the folks I dealt with in Iraq the Taliban deceit is considered a high honor to deceive someone is considered an honor to be able to do that if you're good at that. I mean, they right now, I believe, are simply trying to placate Americans, fool us into believing that somehow they are a kinder, gentler Taliban. Al Qaeda is not gone out of Afghanistan, as President Biden just said recently, um, although his Secretary of State and the Pentagon has said otherwise. 
They are weakened indeed. However, as soon as we're out of there, we're going to have no ability to, to, to control or provide this, as they say, over the horizon intelligence. We're, we're not going to have anyone, no boots on the ground, no intelligence to know what's going on. And they will do a Nasakani and the Taliban will do just what they did, provide a safe haven for Al-Qaeda to grow. Um, and uh, hopefully, God forbid, never have another 9-11 but that's what they will. That's what they will attempt to do. Let's go back to the three years you were with them at Guantanamo Bay. Tell us the things that you learned about him that really frightened you. So I wasn't in Guantanamo Bay. Um, I was in based out of Bagram, and to be honest, I don't even know. I was I was taken um, by helicopter and then by um, some suburbans with uh to where this prison was and i i at this point still don't know exactly where it was that's how secret of a place this was um but this was in in afghanistan um during the interview even though i was only there to do a mental health evaluation and within some of the questions that i would ask um just his swearing allegiance to to jihad, um, and when he would when he would talk, just the the evilness that would c come from not only his words but his eyes, and all I could think of is I'm sitting there, literally almost knee to knee in this small cell with him, is this is the same man that helped Osama bin Laden get out and provided him safe. Because I don't think people realize when they think of Osama bin Laden, they th we think of this evil, evil man that masterminded and, you know, killed so many, so many folks in our own country. This guy's the same, the same man. This is the same kind, and we're placating them, giving them legitimacy currently as we speak right now. And we're going to, whenever we do get out of there turn their, that country back over to them and give them a place to have safe haven to do plan attacks um, without us having the ability to have any kind of oversight or any retribution. It's, it's frankly a bit scary. You know, um, the Obama administration in 2014 came out and said torture is ineffective, um, um, Peter, but his own military and spy chiefs rebuked him publicly. Nevertheless, and you've seen this firsthand, torture by the government is deemed illegal. Do you think torture is a, uh, still remains an effective means to extract information? Um, I, don't, I wouldn't want to get too deep into that. I think that, um, that it, defi it definitely can be. There could be some, some times where you get false information um, just to get to get any information. Um, however, I do believe that that's something that that the Taliban and those kind of people understand. They understand force. They understand brute force. They understand that aggressiveness. Um, and I don't think that that should necessarily be our primary way, but I think it should be a tool, you know, a tool that's in in our commanders' toolkits, if 
if they deem it necessary when they're um, when they're in charge for sure. So, so what are your thoughts on our president agonizing now over whether or not to extend the August 31st deadline? I'm not sure why there's any agonizing going over that. We have, he basically has lit the house on fire intentionally and now is trying to pat himself on the back and applaud himself for getting people out. It's time now to say, okay, yes, he's, whether he is inept, incompetent, whatever you want to say, this, this mission, like I, I mentioned to you earlier, I think I could have taken a couple of privates and sat down over a beer in the afternoon and made a plan that would have been better than what we have. But at this point, it's time to make a new mission. And that new mission is we are coming in. We are going to get every last American out. Every Afghan who has worked with our government that wants to leave, we will get them out. Whenever that mission is done, then we will leave. If you interfere with that mission, we will take severe and strong action. Point out Soleimani. Point out some of the others. I believe if President Trump is still in office, that's exactly what would be happening right now that there would be a plan put in place. We wouldn't ask them if it's okay. We wouldn't defer to the Taliban. We would tell them exactly what, this is the mission. This is how we're going to do it. And if you interfere, there will be such repercussions that we won't be able to speak of them. That's what they understand. Um, Phil, what would you say were the just gross mistakes made by this current administration in Afghanistan? And what do they need to do now to minimize the damage and the loss? Well, I could take it back even to, I, I mentioned earlier with you, I, I don't agree, didn't agree with President Trump withdrawing every, with all troops. I think keeping a small presence, two to 3,000 troops as we, if we've had in there, um, we hadn't had any, any American deaths in well over a year. It gave us a chance to keep our finger on the pulse of what's what's going on, and I don't think we should we should have got, got out. Um, however, if you are going to make that move, there's a right and a wrong way to do it. And if you want an example of a wrong way, we did. The military should definitely have been the last out. Civilians, the, our Afghan partners who have fought with us for the last 20 years, should have all been removed prior to any military leaving. And as I've said, now the, the only option is to tell the stop talking with the Taliban, stop communicating, asking them for basically favors, don't hurt anyone at our checkpoints, don't, don't interfere. Um, we need to dictate to them what the terms are. I, I believe this 31st of August deadline was to just kind of say that we were out of there prior to 9-11 and on September 11th, be able to do this nice big song and dance. 31 August needs to go out the window and the mission is all Americans will come home safe. All Afghans who worked with the Americans will come home safe. If any of them are harmed, there will be severe and quick, immediate, repercussions. 
End of story. So you do believe we should repatriate those Afghans, the um, uh, translators, and those that assisted us and put their lives on the line here in the United States. We should find um, a place for them here in America as much as we can. Absolutely. We owe it to them. To leave them behind now is a death sentence. We, we, it would be better for us to pull a, put a bullet in every one of their heads as a mercy killing compared to what will happen to them if they are left behind. These folks are ruthless and they, they will not change. Obviously, uh, the Chinese and the Russians think they have an opportunity to take advantage of this situation. Anything that appears to weaken America, they always root for it. But wh wh where are the Chinese and the Russians? What tasks do they have ahead of them? The Russians were in this place before and they had to leave quickly and had little to show for it. What makes them think that this time is different? And what makes the Chinese feel they can be any better and they can, can negotiate with, with the Taliban? Well, I think both of them, but especially the, the Chinese. I mean, we, they've got so, the Taliban now has so much of our equipment. I mean, from Blackhawks to tanks. Um, I think the Chinese are salivating at the opportunity to get in there and reverse engineer some of that stuff and see see our capabilities. Um, the mine, you know, the gems that come come out of Afghanistan. They, they've got a lot a lot of. Um, reasons and it's one of those things also the enemy of my enemy is my friend so um but yeah we're, we're showing weakness and they are they they will step in and, and take that void but i'm more concerned about what al-qaeda repatriating themselves and having a safe haven there to be able to potentially repeat a 9-11 and talk talk more about al-qaeda repatriating there and what it means to um, the global fight that we had against terrorism uh, and our defeat of ISIS and slowing down and eliminating uh, many of the capabilities of Al-Qaeda in the past. What will this do and how will this put the world on alert again for the threat of terrorism return you know, even, even, even more rapidly than it was in the past? Well, I think we saw this with ISIS in Iraq when we pulled out of there and told them when we were going to pull out and how we were, when we were going to do it and how we were going to do it. And very quickly, ISIS repatriated themselves um, and came back, came back stronger. Um, and we had to go back and rectify that situation. As, as I mentioned, Al-Qaeda is a very weakened presence, but they're still there. Um, and as soon as we are out of there, we we will have no ability to affect that. And the Taliban will provide them that, that additional haven. Um, and you can't provide, I mean, we have, yes, we have drones and satellites and all of this, but it is almost impossible to keep up with what's going on in that terrain um, in Afghanistan, such a mountainous terrain and the caves that they've built over the, the last hundred years. Um, the only way to do it is to have some boots on ground. And I think, as I mentioned, having the force that we've had there, 2,500 to 3,000, um, has been very reasonable. And it gives us that ability to keep our finger on the pulse of what's going on before you know, things would get out of hand um, and we could keep that intelligence. 
No, we always always talk about the Americans' presence there, uh, but recently the British uh, and the UN and many of those nations have been pushing back on America, saying you only set on a deadline for yourself on August 31st because we're not leaving. You don't speak for us because our interests are not your interests. I've never seen such talent relationships between the British and the Americans in recent memory. I think I remember a candidate, Joe Biden, talking about how he was such a better candidate than our than President Trump because he had all this experience on the on the world stage and that he would he would get us back in NATO um, and a strong presence. And as soon as he became president, he his first trip to, you know to NATO, we're back. Um, and then he left them out of this decision. I mean, the the British Parliament has con condemned this. Um, how you can go go into this, and we, I mean, when I was over there, I mean, Italians, Germans, the Brits, Poland, I mean, this was a worldwide endeavor. We may have had the lead, but it was a worldwide endeavor with our NATO partners. And to not sit down with them ahead of time and make a plan together. Um, yeah, if I, if I was them, I, I'd be feeling a little... Uh, a little left out and a little, a little confused, um, and we're putting them in, in a bad position because they don't have nearly the the military presence and could, you know, e easily be overrun in the areas that they're they're still in. So, so what's the solution? Is there any hope? Is there any light that you see for us going forward in that region? Oh, that's a good question, Armstrong. Um, like I said, the the only positive right now with the current plan is if we alter it, like I said, to make that the new mission that we will are coming in, this is how it's gonna happen. And let's get all of our Americans home. Let's get all of our counterparts who support us over the past 20 decades home safely. At this point, I think that's the that's the best case scenario. So, so are you actually saying that in the end, if all those pieces come together and we're able to get out, the best scenario is for us to be done with Afghanistan and leave it to themselves? I think we boxed ourselves into saying that's our only up. I mean, we've already said we're not going to stay there. The pre president said, what interest do we have there? None. Um, I'm not saying I agree with that, but I'm saying with the current the current plan, this is what's this is what we're left with. So the lesser of two evils, the only positive that can come out with the current plan is that we get all of our people out without any bloodshed. You know, if you look at what uh, we've done with the Kurds, um, you look at what we've done in Vietnam and other places around the world, and you see what we're doing in Afghanistan now with the Afghans, I mean, why would countries around the world trust America in these situations again, where they just will not uh, go for the exit and run and leave them for dead and people die for no reason at all. And it also is an indication that we may be losing our global influence militarily around the world. I agree, and I don't know why they would. I would be if I was if I was one of our NATO partners, I would be very hesitant to jump in and support the way they have from the first Gulf War to Iraq to Afghanistan. They have followed our lead and jumped in 
and supported it and worked shoulder to shoulder with us. But then we haven't shown them the respect to even inquire of their their opinions and take that into to account. Yeah, I would be very hesitant. We're, we're showing some uh, some pretty negative patterns here right now with this current administration. We started this conversation uh, about Anaz Akani, uh, who uh, was considered one of the most dangerous terrorists in the world. And now he's at the negotiating table for the Taliban and the Afghanistan government. And why you still feel this is dangerous and we're going to play even a Baker Prize, more deaths and destructions if he continues to be at the table. Um, exerting his influence, especially if you said he pledged allegiance to jihad. So currently we have a former Taliban member who was in Guantanamo Bay that was released under the Obama administration, who now is the main leader of the Taliban in Afghanistan. And um, I just saw on the news in since we last talked Armstrong, that the CIA has met with him secretly. So now you have someone who was a known terrorist, killed Americans, that was in Guantanamo Bay that we released, who is negotiating with the CIA, and also one of the top members in the Haqqani terrorist network, who was released and now is sitting in a place of power as well. It's it's unconscionable and why, why we are choosing to give them this leverage and credibility to put known terrorists and give them this, this legitimacy is, is beyond me. It's, it's reprehensible. Well, Phil Weaver, thank you for your service. Thank you for this exclusive. This is your first interview um, um, since seeing this over, over um, the past weekend. We appreciate your sharing this with your platform, and we look forward to having updates from you and more communication with you in the future. Thank you, Armstrong. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Bill. Thank you for listening to this week's episode.